Take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 19 this morning. Luke chapter 19. Get my Bible here. Luke chapter 19. As we enter into the Passion Week, and we see Luke chapter 19 talks about Palm Sunday and what Palm Sunday represents. And we're going to be right there this morning. And I hope that you have your Bible ready. When it comes to Palm Sunday, we see the people uh, were expecting a leader to come into town. And we'll walk through kind of this passage where uh, we see Jesus coming into Jerusalem for the last time. Uh, They thought that he was coming to overthrow a Roman dominance that had been crushing them uh, for years, for years, and establish this new world order. Uh, not wrestling, but a new world order and a new world order of living and kind of their new way of life. But their expectations were not what they thought they were going to be. Their expectations were not fulfilled, not met because of the emphasis of Jesus' kingdom. Jesus wasn't coming to save them from Rome. He was coming to save them from sin. We think about our lives today. We say, well, God, this is what I need. And he says, that's not what you need. And we say, well, God, this is what I want. And God said, but that's not what you need. Uh, God gives us what we need. And Jesus coming to save them would require a death and his death. And that's not what they were expecting. They were expecting uh, long live the king. Our series from last year in the book of John, long live the king. That's what they were expecting, but that's not what they got. And when we see today in our lives, uh, following Jesus requires a death. It requires a death to self. It requires a death in some ways of our way of living, the way that we expect our life to turn out, dying that death. Because Jesus is not solely interested in our happiness. He is very interested in our holiness. And not just in our happiness, but our holiness, first of all. So Luke chapter 19, let's begin in verse number 28. Luke 19, verse 28. We'll read a few verses and then pray for our context this morning. It says, When he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, and the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never, yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. If any man ask you, Why do ye loose him? Thus shall ye say to him, Because the Lord hath need of him. Hey, if somebody asks you, what are you doing? Why why are you taking that mule, that donkey that doesn't belong to you? The Lord needs him. The Lord needs him. Now, which is an odd response. But look at the response in verse 33. And as uh, verse 32, excuse me, and they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, why loose ye the colt? Just like Jesus said, just like Jesus had prepared them, uh, be ready with a response. And what was their response? We want him. That wasn't the response. Uh, And if that's what it says in your Bible, we need to talk after church. Uh, But we want him. No, that wasn't the response. Uh, we, we need to rent this donk. No, no. The Lord, verse 34, and they said, the Lord hath need of him. Now, they weren't in this thing for a joy ride. How fast can this donkey go? Let's find out. No, no, that wasn't the response. What did they do? Verse 35, and they brought him to Jesus. And they cast their garments upon the colt and they set Jesus thereon. They did exactly what 
Jesus asked them to do in the parameters that he gave them. And the purpose was so that Jesus could use this donkey to illustrate something a whole lot bigger than what they were expecting what they were anticipating. So let's pray this morning and then we'll dive right in. Father, we thank you for your word. and Thank you for the challenges of your word. Lord, I ask that you please speak to our hearts and give us what we stand in need of. If there's someone watching online or here today that doesn't know you as their personal savior, please draw them to yourself. And Lord, I ask that you please help them to see that you are what they need. Lord, you're the need of our hearts, the need of our lives. I ask that you please show us, Lord, how we can follow you to the best of our ability. Lord, thank you so much for this week and what it represents. Uh, Lord, a lot can happen in seven days. And uh, Lord, we thank you so much for the fact that we can celebrate next Sunday, Easter Sunday, because you're no longer in the tomb. Lord, you're alive. And we thank you for that. We serve a risen Savior. Lord, thank you for the hope that is found in the empty tomb. Lord, we ask that you please speak to our hearts. Please speak to my heart. Lord, cleanse me of sin. Anything unconfessed, help me to be clean as I preach your word to your people. And Lord, I ask that you please draw us to yourself today and help us to see that we have hope in this life and in the one to come. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down three thoughts. Number one, the arrangement. The arrangement. We know very little about how Jesus knew about this cult. We don't know uh, if he had seen it passing or if maybe the cult was owned by a couple of disciples. We have no knowledge of that. Uh, But for some reason, the Lord needed it. That's the emphasis. The Lord needs this cult. Again and again, we see over and over, the Lord needed the cult. We see the location that's mentioned in verse 28 and 29. Uh, Here is a, a very particular place on the road to Jerusalem. They passed a place that we had basically say Bethphage, that's how we would pronounce it. Uh, in uh, Greek, the word is pronounced Bethphage, uh, Bethphage, which means the house of figs, the house of figs. It was right next to Bethany, uh, not our Bethany, uh, but uh, Bethany, the town where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived, just a short distance from Jerusalem, uh, within a couple miles. And as Jesus passed along the road, he sends two disciples on the mission. This is the last time that he would come into Jerusalem. His last time through. It was the last time that he would come in in this manner. By Friday, he will have cleansed the temple. He would have been arrested. He would have been betrayed. He would have been tried, executed. By Friday, everything unwound, but Sunday was coming. Sunday was going to be a different story altogether. So one week's time, everything would be different. And that's significant to us because... We look at our lives in absolutes. We look at our lives in, as eternal absolutes. I'm always going to have this job. Now, we know this. Uh, I'm always going to have this problem. Uh, please don't point to your spouse, okay? But uh, I'm always going to have this difficulty. I'm always going to, and we know that that's not true. We're not always going to fill in the blank. We're not always going to. We we make those things absolutes. We make them all the time, but they don't always work out that way. We look at our lives and think that it's never going to get better, Pastor. It's never going to change. It's never, there's no hope. There's no change. There's no change of direction. It's never going to be different. But wouldn't it be better just to say, we know that the Lord is in control and what he allows is going to take place. 
Wouldn't it be better for us to pray and trust in the Lord and expect him to do great things and know that he has a ultimate plan that he's weaving in our lives? Because if I sit and I just sit down and say, well, woe is me, it's just gonna be gloom and doom and and I can't really do anything and I'm just gonna have to endure till the end and I'm just gonna have to tough it out. Why would anybody want that kind of Christianity? Why is that attractable to someone who's lost without Christ? If there's no hope, there's no joy, there's no peace, there's no expectation that God is going to do something great, why would anyone want Jesus if that's our perspective? There has to be more. Jesus didn't come for us to be broken, but for us to be restored. Jesus didn't come for us to be defeated. He came for us to be victorious. And if you're not experiencing a life that's full of hope and that's full of joy and the promises that he's offered us, maybe you don't have Jesus. Because he is all of those things. He is our hope. He is our peace. He is our love. He is our joy. Every single one of those things, Jesus checks every one of those boxes. He is our hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20. For ye are bought with the price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Where do our problems come from? Where do our problems come in? Our problems come when we start looking at other people and comparing what we have to what they have. I'll give you a prime example. There are other great churches in our area today, none of which I will go online this afternoon and check how their services went on Facebook. Why? Because I don't want to get caught in the comparison trap. Well, man, they had 40 visitors at their church. We don't have two. Uh, uh, they had all these people saved and baptized and uh, joined and all these decisions made. And man, we didn't have that. See, I can get caught in that comparison thing. And we do understand that social media is the highlight reel, not the low light reel. Yeah. We, you understand that. Okay. Nobody takes a picture as they're waking up. They haven't brushed their teeth. Their hair's all going this direction. Says, oh, this would be a great day for a selfie. Click. Nobody does that. Let me just say, nobody should do that. Okay. <laughs> We take the best picture, we filter it just right, the angle's got to be right, we have to turn our head to make sure that we don't catch that double chin just right. You know, all of these different things. We have to make sure that it's the best, that it's the best. We put our best foot forward. And if we're not careful, we compare our circumstances to someone else's. And when we do that, it makes us question, is God really good to me like the Bible says he is? Well, pastor, he's not doing that for me, so maybe not. God isn't as good. Let me just time out. God is good to all of us, better than we deserve. But, but let me illustrate that this morning. I have three sets of Legos here, and they are, yeah, go figure. Uh, so three sets of Legos, and I'm going to get uh, uh, Tucker help me out this morning. Do you mind? Uh, c- come help me out this morning. And uh, let me see, I'll get Tucker and Kevin. We're up here real quick. And Kevin loves being in the spotlight. So you guys come up and uh, help me. And uh, uh, Luke, come up here and help me real quick, okay? All right, so three guys. God is good to all of you guys. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, all right, so Luke, you get this one. You get, you get to be the average Christian, okay? All right, so you, there you go, all right? And uh, Tucker will give you this one, and Kevin, please don't drop this one, all right? Uh, but 
All right, so if you're not familiar, these are all uh, the same ship. Uh, it's from Star Wars. It's called Slave One. It's Boba Fett's ship. And so it's three different models of the exact same thing. So for, for illustration's sake this morning, we're going to say that these are all blessings from God. Okay? Legos. Yes, praise the Lord. Uh, but they're all blessings from God. But we all understand that blessings come at different times, seasons, and it, in certain circumstances seem bigger than others. Yes? Okay. Here's where we are. All right. We come to church. Hey, everybody, praise the Lord. Man, God was good to me. Look at what God did for me. Hold that up. All right. Look at what God did for me this week. All right. And Luke comes over to Tucker. And Tucker says, man, hey, I believe that. Man, God was good to me this past week. I'm, I'm going to move this because the photographer is trying to take a picture. Uh, so <laughs> remember Insta Instagram, Facebook, all right? Uh, so best picture, best picture. Uh, but hey, we come to church. Look at what God did for me. And Tucker says, man, you will not believe what happened to me. This past week, one of my coworkers got saved and I've been praying for them. And Luke says, in the back of his mind, I got coworkers and I've been praying for them. All of them hate me. Nobody wants Jesus at my, at my job. and uh, Nobody wants to get saved at my job. And God blessed Tucker, but he hasn't blessed me. Now look, blessings, blessings. God blessed, but his blessings are bigger. God blessed me. So Luke leaves Tucker and Tucker's like, woohoo, yeah, Jesus is good, yeah. He goes over here to, uh, to Kevin and says, man, hey, you won't believe that God, God was good. Now, he's not as excited as he was when he came in because now he's compared blessings. His blessing was bigger than mine. Now he goes over here and he says, man, yeah, God was pretty good this week. And uh, his whole temperament has changed because he compared blessings. He goes over to Kevin and says, man, you know, just I'm expecting some good things and you know, we'll see what God does. And Kevin says, man, I just got back from a trip and God was good. And Man, I invited somebody to church and they said they were going to watch online. And uh, Man, we just had a blessing and uh, I got a new job and I'm making twice as much more money as I was before. This is awesome. And man, God has just been so good. And Luke says, man, my blessing that I got is nothing to his blessing. That's not even close. I mean, yeah, that's... that's Somebody got saved at Tucker's job, but man, he's making twice as much as he was. And I'm still over here just making the same old, same. You can come back over here. Uh, I'm just making the same old, same old thing. And it doesn't really matter anymore. Uh, yeah, God is good to me, but look at what God's doing for everybody else. Here's the, here's the question I want to ask. Which one has God blessed? All of them. Should I be focused on the size of my blessing or be focused on the fact that God is blessing. Yeah. That's good. See, God doesn't have to give me this or this. And he really doesn't have to give me this. I don't deserve this. It's all the same thing. It's all a blessing. I don't deserve any of this. But I should be thankful for this. Just as much so as Kevin is for his blessing. Just as much so as Tucker is for his blessing. Because God doesn't have to. That's the focus. God doesn't have to give me this. The truth be told, we could rip a piece off, which we won't. Uh, but Hardy did that illustration one time. We won't do that again. Uh, but we could rip one little piece off and say, that's more than I deserve. But God has blessed all of us. We need to be cautious and not 
get in the comparison with someone else's blessing because Luke doesn't know Tucker's situation and Tucker doesn't know Kevin's situation. Kevin doesn't know Luke's situation. We cannot compare our blessings with somebody else because God does different things at different times in all of our lives. But we need to be thankful that God is blessing. Thankful. Thank you, guys. You can set those down. Don't take them back to your seat, Luke. Don't take it back to your seat. All right? Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. You know, because when we think about our complaints, and this is where I want to land and we'll move on. When I complain, here's what we're saying. When I complain, I'm saying that what God has given to me isn't good enough to make me happy. Now think about that. When I complain, what I'm saying is that God, what God has given to me isn't enough to make me happy. How bold are we to, to complain you know, uh, children of Israel, murmur, 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 murmur. You know, God, Moses, you brought us in the wilderness to die. Uh, Moses, you brought us out here. We're better off slaves. At least we got to eat. Complain. They weren't complaining against Moses. They were complaining against God. Uh, Moses took it to God and said, God, they're, they're wanting to kill me. Uh, they, they don't like what I'm doing. And, and God put it in perspective. They're not complaining against you, Moses. They're complaining against me. It's his blessing. And when we think about our blessings, God has been better to us than any of us deserve. If you're breathing, you have more than you deserve. And the fact that God sent us his son is the icing on the cake. That he loved us enough. We see the logic, number two, verse 30 through 35 this location, this small, obscure place. And then we see the logic. Jesus sends two of the disciples into Bethany with, with this purpose on this mission. Now you would think that they would be going after the most prized stallion, the most prized horse that could be ridden in as a king. But this would fulfill a prophecy. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse number 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just in having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass, and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. Jesus was not coming as a dictator. He was coming as a deliverer. He wasn't coming as a greedy leader. He was coming as a gentle leader, a meek leader. And identified him with royalty with David. Even before David's reign, all leaders would ride on a donkey, not on a horse. It wasn't until after David's reign that they flipped and said, hey, we, we got some nicer things that people can ride. But it identified him with royalty of the past. But it also showed his meek and lowly spirit. It showed his humility. The fact that meekness is not weakness. It showed that he was humble. In his book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland said, Lowly gentleness is not one way Jesus occasionally acts toward others. Gentleness is who he is. It is his heart. It is his heart. He said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest to your souls. But it also would require a test of faith. 
You think Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to go and I want you to find this donkey and I want you to go into this little town and right inside the door. These disciples didn't ask for details. They didn't question. They literally, no debate, no discussion, they went. They responded. And I wonder how many times the Lord comes by our seat and says, you know what, I need you. And we want details. You know, God, what do you want me to do? And what do I need to, how do, how do I need to serve? And uh, how long do you want me to do? And we ask him all of the questions and he just wants a submission. All he wants us to do is simply say, yes. I wonder how many times he looks at our finances and says, I want you to give. I wonder how many times he looks at our service and says, I want you to serve. He once says, I want you to take a step, whatever it is. And we say, God, if you'll give me details and dates and times and figures and how much it's going to cost. and uh, If I can fit it in my schedule, God, then I'll do it. If that's our mentality, he'll ask somebody else. He'll ask somebody else. Because he is looking for a willing vessel. A willing vessel. The arrangement this donkey was available. And then we see in verse number six, 36, the arrival. The arrival. Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, is met with all this pomp and circumstance that didn't necessarily go over very well. We see the flooring that's mentioned in verse number 36. And people begin throwing all of their clothes and palm branches on the road for the colt to walk on. Verse 36, it says, and as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And this is not a, a lewd or a disrespectful thing. Uh, people of that day wore multiple layers of garments and it was not uncommon for them to shed a layer in the desert heat uh, that feeling they would take off that outer cloak and they would lay that in the road. It was a sign that they were submitting to who he was. They recognized his authority. It was a part of Jewish tradition. They would receive royalty in this way and they were doing what they could. They were doing their part. They were doing what they were capable of doing. You think about Mark chapter 14 as Jesus is in the house that night, getting ready to go to the Garden of Gethsemane with the disciples, and a woman appears and washes the feet of Jesus, wipes them with her hair, which to us is gross and vile and disgusting. But Jesus comments about her in Mark chapter 14 and verse number 8 and says, She hath done what she could. She didn't have much. But what she had, she gave. Now, she didn't have much opportunity. Now, you search through other parallel passages. Uh, the disciples were not very pleased with this event. Some of them very repulsed by what she's doing. And Jesus said, she doesn't have much, but what she has, she's giving what she can. She has done what she could. And Jesus does not expect us to do what we can't do. He does not expect us to do his work in, in a very literal sense of the things that only he can do. God does not ask us to save people. He simply asks us to share the message. God does not ask us to clean up someone's heart after they've been saved. That is his work, not ours. God does not expect us to do what only he can do. See, I have been known to play the part of the Holy Spirit at times in my life. Well, man, I, I wish that person would hear this message and I wish that they would, they would respond. That's not my job. 
Man, I wish that person would join and I wish they would serve and I wish they would give and I wish they would go. That's not my job. My job is simply to share the message. Share the message. And at the end of our lives, we stand before God who spoke to our heart during our lives and he wants to know why we didn't respond. That is the nitty-gritty. Now let's get down to the nitty-gritty. You know, I, that's, at the end of our lives, that's where Nacho Libre, if you haven't seen the movie, it's a classic. Uh, but uh, it's amazing. It's one of those where you will watch and say, I just wasted an hour and a half of my life. Uh, but God... I have high standards for movies. I'm telling you, high standards. Uh, But God does not expect us to do what he can do, but he does ask us to do what we can do. What can I do? I can give. I can serve. I can be faithful. I can follow. I can do some things. But where has God gifted me to serve? Where has God allowed me? What does God expect from me? Uh, D.L. Moody said, a good many are kept out of the service of Christ, deprived of the luxury of working for God because they're trying to do some great thing. He said, let us be willing to do little things. And let us remember that nothing is small in which God is the source. Nothing is small in which God is the source. I love the, the note that's there in your handout by John Wesley, the quote, Do all the good you can by all the means you can and all the ways you can and all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can and as long as you can. You know, Colossians 3.23 says, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men. Matthew 5.16, Let your light, your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify not you, glorify your Father which is in heaven. It says in John 12, 13, they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. They took palm trees. They took what they had access to. Don't worry about what somebody else has access to. When you're serving, man, they could do a whole lot more. Remember, they could do a whole lot more, pastor. They've been blessed a whole lot more than I. Hey, use what God gave you. Use the resources that God has given you and learn how to be faithful with what God has blessed you with. We see the faith in verse 37 and 38. They didn't just show it, they said it. Verse 37, when he was come nigh, even the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. Yay, Jesus. No, no. It says a loud voice. You know what that word means? Loud. Loud. To be heard. Oh, pastor, you know, I, I, I worship in private. We're commanded to worship in private and in public. It's not optional. So we look at our life. We, we come together. It's no different. They saw They said, man, that guy is riding on a donkey and he's stepping on people's clothes and he's meek and he's bringing salvation and people are saying, Hosanna, could it be that he is the one that we've heard about all of our lives? Could it be that he's the one that we've waited for? Is he the Messiah? Absolutely he was. But it's no different for us. We come in to our uh, place of worship. We come together. We lift our voice in song. We prepare our hearts. We open a book that points our minds to him, all for paving the way of one that's coming. And let me just say this. 
we're still paving the way for one who's coming. Oh, he's already come once, but he's coming again. He's coming again. He's going to be back. He's coming back soon. But the question now has shifted to, will you be ready when he comes back? Will you be ready? Do we live in light of what we experienced Sunday or in anticipation of that what's coming? Or because of what we just experienced on Sunday, are we not waiting? Hey, man, I can't wait till next Sunday because of what we experienced this past Sunday. We can do both. What would it do at your workplace if you go in tomorrow, man, man, we had a great weekend. God blessed and met with us. We sang some great songs. I heard the team sing a new song that we're singing next Sunday for Easter. Man, it's going to be great. We can't wait to worship together. All of these different things. And your coworkers are like, stay away from me, please. (laughs) Hey, why don't you come with me next Sunday? Which would be a great introduction. Man, God worked in our hearts and God met with us. Why don't you come this week. Hey, everybody's going to go to church somewhere Easter. You know what I mean. Everybody's going to look for a church to go to. Why not come to my church? You already know I'm crazy. You don't have to guess with the other places. You already know I'm crazy and I love Jesus. So why don't you just come? But why can't we simply praise the Lord? Psalm 150 talks about our praise over and over and over. The word praise Psalm 150, verse 1, praise you the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in the firmament of his power, praise him for his mighty acts, praise him according to his excellent greatness, praise him with the sound of the trumpet. I have never heard a silent trumpet. Now, you can still put that muffle thing on there, but it's still going to be loud. It says, praise him with the psaltery and harp, praise him with the timbrel and dance. That's where all the Baptists get real nervous right there. Praise him with the... Let's take that word out, Pastor, of the of the book. Yeah. No, it says dance. And dance. All right? Praise him with stringed instruments. Ta-da! And uh, praise him with stringed instruments. Organs. They're right there. All right. Uh, praise him upon the loud cymbals. Come on. The Baptists are still, I'm sweating up here. <laughs> uh, praise him upon the high sounding cymbals. Yeah, there it is. And then it says in verse 6, let everything that hath breath. Let's test. Here we go. You're qualified. (laughs) I didn't see anybody fall out. Let everything that hath breath. Praise the Lord. And then if we missed it, praise ye the Lord. You praise the Lord. You know what I see here? I see noise. Noise. That means our praise should be heard. Well, Pastor, I'm not praising for other people. I understand what you're saying. But your praise encourages other people. You ever been in a church that was dead? Please don't say today. (laughs) Uh, But you go to a church and it's like, man, somebody must have died right before I walked in. Because everybody's acting like it, you know. Or acting like their dog died that morning or something. You know, uh, you know, the husband and wife had a spat on the way in. and you know, But then you come somewhere where it's alive. It's like, man, this is refreshing. This is encouraging. Hey, don't be dead. Don't be dead. And don't look weird when somebody acts alive around you. You know, hey, 
Worship. Worship is an action. Action. It causes us to do something. Hey, I, I, know, I know we're in the middle of college basketball season, and most people don't care uh, because all of our teams are long gone, all right? But, but football season's coming, all right? And most people, most of our teams don't, aren't going to do anything in baseball this year, so don't even, you know, don't even go there, okay? Uh, so, but football season's coming, and I have yet to see somebody go to a football game and just Even those patron saints who are quiet on Sunday will paint their bodies on Saturday. (laughs) And they will let everybody know. And you're not going to talk about my team that way. The pastor don't even bring it. That's why we have tailgate Sunday and we have Jersey Day and we have all these things. And it's well known who your team is. You know, you got bumper sticker and you got the tailgate gear and you got the jersey and the hat and the face paint and all this. Why do we do that? We would argue that that is a form of worship. Because we're letting everyone know where our allegiance is. That's what worship is. We're letting everyone know where our allegiance is. They that worship me must worship in spirit and in truth. Truth, we know it. Spirit, how spirited are you when it comes to your worship? Spirit and in truth. Loud voice. We see the frustration. Verse 39. There were some in the group that were not very pleased that all of this was going on. They were in the crowd. They were among the people and they were not happy. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Remember Jesus said, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. In the midst of. That means you're going to be around them. Luke chapter 10 verse 3. Same passage. Different text. Go your ways. Behold I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Acts chapter 20 verse 29. Paul is speaking to the leaders of the church of Ephesus. And he says. For I know this. That after my departings. Shall grievous wolves enter in among you. Not sparing the flock. In verse 30 he says. Also of your own selves shall men arise. Within and without. 2 Thessalonians 3.11, for we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. There will always be a group that's not on the same page. Always be a group that has issues. And they spoke to Jesus and said, hey, hey, I don't know who you are, who you claim to be, but you correct those people because what they're doing is not proper. You ever heard that in church? You can't do that. You can't raise your hand and worship like that. You can't sing that song. You can't bring that. You can't dress that way. You can't do that. Whatever. Hey, don't hinder somebody's worship. I'm glad that styles have changed. I'm glad that we get to see the the church alive today. I'm thankful for the history that we have. I'm thankful for the future that we have. But all of those things are important. But I think it's foolish for us to say that we're going to do it the way that they did it 100 years ago and we're going to see some awesome results. Pastor, let's bring back the dark panel to our church. Never. It's like somebody saying, let's bring back the pink carpet. Not going to happen. Ever. (laughs) All right? You think about this. If we think that we're going to do old things to draw a crowd or 
new things to draw a crowd, we have the wrong motives. You know what works? No matter the generation, the time period, you know what works? Lifting up Jesus. Lifting up Jesus. It looks a lot different than it did 200 years ago. But we're still doing the same thing. We're lifting up Jesus to the point that Jesus tells them in verse number, uh, let's see, uh, verse number 40, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Hey, if I told them to stop, something or someone is going to give him praise. Hey, don't let a rock do your job. Don't let a rock do your job. God gave you a breath. He gave you a voice. We need to praise him. You think about Jesus looks around and everywhere he looked, it was discouraging. He looked behind him and he saw a nation that was missing an opportunity. And he looked ahead. The cross was ahead of him. He looked around and he saw religious activity with no change. He looked within the parts of people. What did he see? Spiritual darkness. The only hope that he had was up. And the only hope we have today is not within the people that you work with. It's not around. It's not behind. It's not ahead. It's up. The hope that we have is up. Uh, lastly, this morning, we see the accusation. Jesus stays in Bethany for the night, heads to the temple the next day. But he wasn't, this was not going to be a peaceful trip. This was going to be a purifying trip. Two things, we see the temple, and then we see the teaching. The temple and the teaching. The temple, we see the account, all the gospels, verse 45 and 46, Jesus goes in, and I will not throw that table over just because of what's on top. And, uh, but starts throwing tables over disrupting the flow. And I've heard this passage taught uh, at different times that this is grounds that we should not sell anything within the walls of the church because Jesus was not, that's not what Jesus is saying. Instead of praying for the people, the Jews were praying on the people. Instead of praying for, they were praying on. G. Campbell Morgan reminds us that a den of thieves is a place where thieves run to hide after they've committed their heinous acts. They run to hide. And what does Jesus say? You've made it a den of thieves. You've taken the purpose that my father had and changed it. You've corrupted it. He's telling them what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, don't be like the hypocrites are. What do they do? For when they love to stand, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and the corners of the streets. Why? That they may be seen of men. It's not a fake show. It's not for put on. Hey, I'm not just worshiping the Lord so that so-and-so will see how spiritual I am. I'm worshiping him because he's worthy of it. Because he deserves it. And he requires it. Commands it. And then we see the teaching in verse 47. Look at verse 47. And he taught daily in the temple. Now remember, when we think about the timeline here, this is now Tuesday. All right, Sunday rides into town, spends the night, overthrows the tables. Monday, this is Tuesday. This is the Passion Week. We know what happens at the end of the week. But nobody else did. So he's daily in the temple. 
if he keeps this up, we're not going to have anybody to follow us. But the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him. And they could not find what they might do. They had no idea what to do. Why? For all the people were very attentive to hear him. What does that mean? It means the people were at a place of decision. Remember Joshua at the end of Joshua's life? Joshua chapter 24, we know the, the iconic phrase, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But what about earlier? Remember he challenged them and he said, how long are you going to waver back and forth between two things? How long halt ye between two opinions? Hey, if you're going to serve the God of the Amorites, on the, your father served on the other side, serve him. But if you're going to serve God, then serve him. And then Joshua makes the statement, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It was a decision time. You know what today is? It's decision time. It's decision time. Are you going to follow the Lord? Because all of us are not promised tomorrow. None of us are. None of us have the promise that, oh, Pastor, next Sunday I'll follow the Lord. Next Sunday I'll make, next year, next month, when I get my family situated, when I get my marriage in check, when I get my kids out of the house, when I become a grandparent, whatever it is, whatever your reasoning, you might not have it. But you are promised right now. And now is decision time. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua said, my family made the decision. Now you look at Joshua's life, it had been made for years. But he was letting them know at the end of his life, we made this decision and we're going to keep making this decision. How about you today? Have you made the decision to follow him? Have you given your life to him? Have you surrendered to him? Because you're either, you have either received Jesus or you have rejected Jesus. There is no middle ground. Because a decision not to follow him is a, choosing to, is a decision to reject him. So which one are you? Uh, today, in this moment, as we close the service, where do you find yourself? Have you received him? Are you following him? Actively following him. Not five years ago, not ten years ago. We meet a lot of used to people. I used to be... I used to serve. I used to do this. I used to go to church. I used to whatever. What about now? Where are you today, right now? I could say, well, I used to love my wife. That would be a pretty bad birthday present. <laughs> I used to love my wife. Well, something has changed, obviously. Go back to that moment when it changed and fix it. Well, pastor, I used to serve. I used to be faithful. I used to love God. Go back to the moment when it changed and fix it and ask God to help you and show you what you need to do to make it right and move forward. But are you actively? Decision time. Here it is. Palm Sunday. These people decided. But remember, these people messed up. That decision didn't last long. It should have. And Jesus is looking for people who will faithfully follow. Are you following him? Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I've never given my heart and life to the Lord Jesus. And I don't know that if I die, I'd be on my way to heaven. I'm not sure. Hey, I'd like to pray for you today. 
I'm not going to embarrass you or call your name out or send someone to talk to you, but I would like to pray for you. How I know who to pray for is that in this moment when no one's looking around, not to embarrass you, but just in this moment you say, hey, pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure that if I died, I'd be on my way to heaven. And you would indicate that by just simply slipping up your hand, not saying a word, but just slipping up your hand. Pastor, I'm not sure. Please pray for me. If that is you, I would like to pray for you. Jesus died on the cross for your sin. He came to this world, lived a perfect life, and then died a death that you and I deserve because of our sin. Sin is anything that we have done that is against God's commands. And we're born sinners. You didn't have to learn how to sin. You were born as a sinner. So you become a sinner by default, really. But Jesus died for that sin when he went to the cross. So that you and I would never have to experience the punishment that we all deserve. And maybe you're here to say, Pastor, I don't even know what that means. I have doubts. Maybe you grew up in church all your life and you still don't know. If you're saved, you don't know if you've been born again, if you've been forgiven of sin. I'd just like to pray for you this morning. Would you be honest with me? And God already knows your heart, but would you simply say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. While no one's looking around, include me in that prayer that sometime before I die, I'll get that settled. Is that you today? I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to pray for you. I'm looking. I don't want to miss you, but Pastor, please pray for me. That, that's me you're talking about. I have a doubt. I'm not sure. Pray for me. If you're here and you say, that is your testimony all it takes is a heart of faith and a request to God that you would have your sins forgiven. That you would say, God, forgive me of my sin. I know I'm a sinner. I know and believe that you died on the cross, rose from the dead. What we celebrate at Easter. God, I believe that. Please forgive me and invite him. He doesn't have to, but he desires a relationship with you. Ask him to come into your life. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. That's what salvation is. It's beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it is. It doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to do anything to earn it. It's a free gift. And Jesus is waiting for you. He has given you an opportunity to receive him as your personal savior. And if that's your need, I would challenge you to get that settled today. Today, decision time, today. If your need is that you need to follow him, Talk to him about it. If your need is that you need to take a step today, talk to him about it. If you need someone to pray with you, our personal workers will be down front in just a moment, and they would love to talk to you, pray with you, encourage you, whatever you need today. But what is it that you need? Do you need him today? Father, please bless this time of invitation. Lord, help us to search our hearts and ask ourselves the question of what it is that we need Lord, I ask that you please help us to see you and what you did, Lord, this week where we celebrate, commemorate Palm Sunday as you rode into town into Jerusalem, Lord, on that colt, Lord, representing being the Messiah. And Lord, our lives are very much like those people. They were cheering for you one day and then cursing and mocking you three days later. Lord, please help us to be consistent in our praise. Help us to worship you, not just privately, but publicly. Lord, help us to loudly proclaim who we are and that we're not ashamed to be connected with you. Lord, help us to follow you. Search our hearts and help us to see what steps we need to take to walk with you. 
faithfully, consistently, day by day. We sure do love you. Thank you so much for loving us. Please give us strength and wisdom and endurance. Lord, help us to be consistent in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us, please. The team's going to sing, and we're going to sing together in just a moment. I want to know you. Our personal workers are right down front. would love to talk to you, pray with you, encourage you, whatever you may need. If you need to take a step, Brother John's right down front. Whatever you need, would you talk to him about it this morning as we sing? Oh,